Hi, this is Jim. Welcome to another episode of Kitchen Table Adulting. Today, our guest is Derek Wiley. Hi, Derek. Hey, how are you doing, Jim? Very well. Uh, thank you. And Derek is a licensed insurance agent uh, here in the Roanoke area. And his his website is DerekWileyAgency.com, which I will include in the show notes. And today we're going to talk about what happens if you are involved in a car accident. Um, I actually am fortunate I have not been in this situation myself. So some of the stuff I'll be asking and I don't actually know the answer, uh, which is always good. So let's see. I guess there, as I'm thinking about it, Derek, there are really two situations here. Uh, maybe, maybe there's something else, but there are accidents where it's your fault and accidents where it's clearly not your fault. And that, that does influence which insurance company pays, right? It absolutely influences which insurance company would pay based on who is uh, liable for the accident. That's the uh, term the insurance companies would use as liability, who's liable for or at fault for the accident would determine that. Okay, so let's start with the uh, situation where I'm at fault. Okay? okay, so I'm driving, I'm distracted, I will not admit to texting while driving, even though a lot of foolish people do that, but I hit somebody going through an intersection and it's my fault. Now, I, I, this is not so much insurance advice, but I think the general advice is if you're in an accident that does not involve injuries, you should move to the side of the road. And uh, if injuries are involved, that's not necessarily possible. But I think in general, you try to, you know, let traffic flow as quickly as you can. Um, but let's say, all right, so let's say I, I'm in an accident. It's, it is my fault. We move to the side of the road. Do, do we always need to call the police? My advice would be to always contact the police um, if you're involved in an accident on a public roadway. Um, if you're involved in an accident in a parking lot, say you back into someone at a, a grocery store or something like that, then you, you likely don't need to call the police. That's considered private property. And as a consequence, typically the police will not respond. If they do respond, it'll be simply because Maybe someone was injured in that parking lot accident, or they'll help the two parties do an information exchange to exchange information. Um, but if an accident were to occur on a public roadway, the reason that you would want to call the police, regardless of whether or not there are um, reported injuries, is because uh, there's always the possibility that down the road, there could be a dispute about what occurred. There could be a dispute about the number of people that are in the vehicle. Um, there could be a dispute about whether or not there were injuries. And so you want an official record of what occurred. You want some third party, in this case, the police, to document who was in the vehicle at the time, who is at fault, and whether or not anybody claimed injury at the scene. Um, and if you don't contact the police, now you are just leaving that whole situation up in the air with the hope that hey, when this thing gets reported to the insurance company, all of a sudden there isn't a mysterious person that says, oh, I was in the back seat of the car that you struck. Um, oh, I, I, I said I wasn't hurt at the time, but now I've got a broken ankle. Um, you know, maybe that happened at the pickup basketball game after the accident occurred a couple of days later. Um, so for that reason, contacting the police, uh, in my opinion, is always going to be your best bet. Yeah, and I, I would I would agree. Uh, the only and the only I guess caveat to that would be that um, if you do call the police, in addition to having the hassle of a, an insurance claim, you're almost likely almost certainly going to be cited for a traffic violation. So 
kind of rub, yes. rubs a little salt on a bad day, but I think the official documentation, as you mentioned, is really important for that reason. So again, go, going back to the scenario. So I, I hit somebody going through an intersection. We do no, no serious injuries, but we call the police and I'm cited for, let's say, rolling a red light and there's damage to my vehicle, damage to the other, the, the woman's vehicle, the one I hit. So at that point, when, when I get my traffic citation and um, we're done there at the scene, in terms of car insurance, what, 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 what would you, excuse me, what do we do next? So um, I think you, you, you hit a couple of key points there. Once everything is resolved at the scene with the police, they've come, they've responded, they've done their report. Um, maybe your car was drivable, you could leave the scene, or maybe um, you uh, uh, had to have the car towed. It's at that juncture that you want to call your insurance company. A lot of times I've, I've been doing this a long time as both an adjuster and as an agent. So I've been on both sides of this. Um, people will want to call the insurance company immediately from the accident scene before the police have even arrived. And that's really unnecessary. Um, you know, you want to wait until you're a, the situation at the scene is resolved. You're in a safe spot. You don't want to be making this call from the side of the road. Um, the insurance company is not Superman. They're not just going to miraculously appear at the scene um, and just whisk you away and your car away to safety. Um, so there's no need to immediately contact your insurance company there at the scene. Um, but once the, the issue is resolved, if the car has to be towed, um, you want to take note of uh, where it was towed to, who the in, who the company was that came out and, and towed the vehicle so that when you do call the insurance company, you'll be able to let them know who came out. And then you want to call your insurance company. There's usually going to be a number on your insurance card that should be in your glove box if you put it there. And um, you're going to report to them what occurred. And they're going to take a statement from you initially about what happened. Um, and then they're going to tell you that usually within 24 hours or so, someone is going to give you a call from the insurance company and they are going to get a much more detailed statement from you about what occurred. Um, and so that's basically the process. You'll call them, let them know what happened, where your car was taken to, if it's drivable or not. And then they'll set an expectation with you that within about 24 to 48 hours, an adjuster is going to give you a call to get more information from you um, about what, uh, what transpired and you go okay. from there. Okay. And, and for the audience, the adjuster is the person, the insurance company will send an adjuster. It may be an employee or a subcontractor who will come and assess the damage to your vehicle and uh, make some determination. I guess the first thing they're looking for is, is it worth repairing or not? Um, and if it is, then your insurance company will then determine where it goes. You don't necessarily get to pick any garage you want for the repair work, correct? That's actually incorrect. You, oh, can, pick, you. you can pick any repair shop that you would like to do the repairs to your vehicle. The insurance company cannot dictate you, dictate to you where your car is repaired at. Now, the insurance company may offer some suggestions as to some shops that they have a relationship with. And these are sometimes called network shops or direct repair facilities. They're going to be body shops that you probably are familiar with, or at least some of them will be. Um, they may be some dealership body shops in the area, some independent shops. So chances are they'll have a list and they'll go through that list and they'll say, hey, you know, we have relationships with these two, three, four shops in the area. They may list one that you're familiar with. And if you're comfortable with sending your car there, I would recommend sending your car there. The advantages to going to one of the shops the insurance company recommends is sometimes they offer a warranty. 
the shops are always going to warranty their work or almost all of them are going to. Okay. But what happens when there's an issue with the repairs um, that the shop does? Well, if it's not a shop the insurance company suggested, then that's going to be between you and the shop to resolve those issues. However, if it's a shop the insurance company recommended, the insurance company can step in and they have leverage with that repair facility and they can say, hey, look, you know, we recommended your shop to this client. As a consequence, these repairs are substandard. We're going to need you to go in and remedy it and rectify it. So it just gives you one additional layer of protection um, if you so choose. Um, but don't ever feel that you have to use the shop the insurance company's uh, giving you. If you have one that's, you know, that you have experience with, that you feel more comfortable with, you have the right to use that facility. Oh, okay. Thank you. I, I actually, uh, a young lady hit my car in a Starbucks parking lot about 18 years ago, and I was remembering it that I did not have a choice, but what it may have been was either the warranty or just less paperwork by choosing the end network. Cause that's, that is what I did. Um, okay. Well, yeah, that's it's a good, it's a good, it's a good way to go. They actually have a term for if an insurance company tells you, you have to use a shop, it's called steering. It's illegal. So if you ever are told by an insurance company, you have to use this or an adjuster says you must take your car here, just know that they are committing an illegal act called steering and they're not allowed to do that. So most insurance companies are not going to do that because they don't want to be uh, on the wrong side of the law. So you shouldn't have that occur. Um, and if you ever are unsure, just ask questions of the adjuster. Say, now, am I allowed to take my car anywhere I want to? And you should get a clear and definitive yes. You can take your car anywhere you want to take it. Okay. And, and a couple of things come into play here um, in terms of what's covered on your insurance policy. One would be towing. Um, if some people keep AAA for towing and don't have it on their insurance, but it's nice to have some towing coverage to get your car to where it needs to be. Also, a big one is whether or not your auto insurance will reimburse for a rental car if you're without your car for a period of time. And that, that did apply to the uh, fender bender I, I just mentioned. I was given a, a car for about seven days while the work was being done. Um, and if you don't have that on your insurance, you can't add it after the fact. So you're going to be bumming a ride off of somebody. Um, but that's important. And then uh, let's say you, you, all right, so you get your car to that place where the work's going to be done. At some point, you need to pay a deductible to file your claim, right? Uh, correct. So number one, in order for you to go through your own insurance company. So in this example, we've we've said that we were at fault for the accident. And so therefore, as a consequence, our insurance is going to be responsible for paying to repair our vehicle. Um, and so in order for that to occur, you're going to need that that key coverage, which is collision coverage. And then if you want some of those ancillary benefits, like having your car towed or having the towing paid for, if you want coverage for, say, the rental reimbursement to give you a rental vehicle while your car is in the shop, you're going to need all those additional coverages on your policy as well. Um, so there's a whole host of coverages that are important. But deductible is very important because that comes into play when actually you go to pick your car up. So the deductible is not paid directly to the insurance company. That's kind of something people are confused about. The deductible is basically just a deduction that the insurance company makes from your repair bill when they're writing you the check. So as an example, if the damage was, say, $3,000 and you had a $500 deductible, the insurance company would just cut you a check for $2,500. So that's the $3,000 minus your deductible, and that's what you're going to get. And then the question becomes, well, who do I pay the deductible to? 
Well, the cost to fix it was three thousand. So when you go to pick your car up from the from the body shop, you're going to end up paying them that five hundred dollars. They're going to probably already have the check from the insurance company, or you're going to have the check from the insurance company. You're going to take that in there, and you need to make up the difference between what the insurance company paid and what the actual cost to fix the car is going to be. And that is when you pay your deductible. It's usually ah, at the time you pick the car up. Gotcha. Okay. And, and another important thing for the audience. Uh, one of the first questions you're going to be asked if you do call your insurance after an accident is, were you driving for business or personal use? And this mm -hmm. is a really important thing, especially for young adults. Um, if you're using your car, I mentioned this in episode three, if you're using your car for any sort of work purpose, you, you need to let your insurance know that because that can actually nullify your insurance coverage, correct? Yes. If you're using your car for any reason other than personal use, there is a high likelihood the claim will be denied and coverage will not be paid. Um, and I, I think it's important, more important now than ever to discuss that because there's so many um, ways that you could be using your car for business and not realize it. For example, um, you've got Uber and Lyft. A lot of people do that on the side to earn extra money. Yep. Now, it is true there is some insurance provided by those vendors if you get into an accident, but that insurance generally is liability coverage for, say, if you one of the occupants that you were driving were to get injured. It's not necessarily to fix your car. So you want to make sure your insurance has coverage for that. Now, there is a way to get coverage for that with some insurance companies. They can cover you for that. Yeah. Another example would be delivery driver. You're delivering pizza for Domino's or you're delivering pizza for one of these uh, pizza delivery uh, places uh, or even uh, all these other food companies, uh, Grubhub and different ones like that. Those are all considered business use of the personal auto. And if you do not have a business auto policy or an endorsement to cover you for that, then unfortunately, at that point, your claim would be denied because you were using the vehicle for other than personal use. Um, mm -hmm. Driving to and from work is fine, but actually using your vehicle in your business um, or with like some signage or something on it could nullify coverage. So yeah. that's an important point. I, maybe I didn't need to do this, but years ago when I had a job that would reimburse mileage to clients, I always sent an email to my insurance agent just saying, hey, heads up, I'm now being reimbursed for miles. Um, and I did that to cover myself for that situation. Uh, okay, so then we have, uh, you know, in terms of the damage done to my vehicle in this case, uh, the adjuster is going to, with some, uh, the adjusters have some knowledge of the cost of repairs and they might look at the book value of the car and say it's not worth repairing, which is what's called totaling the vehicle. A uh, Couple things with totaling the vehicle. One, it does not mean you get a brand new car you reimbursed the book value of the vehicle. Although one of the major insurance companies says get a model year newer or something, but I guarantee you're paying for that in your premiums. So that's probably not worth it, but they're gonna give you an amount uh, for that book value of the car. And that might not be enough to go replace that exact model year and you know exact color or whatever. You don't, it's not necessarily a win when your car gets totaled. Uh, yeah, yeah, your car getting totaled is uh, is no fun. People often ask, like, what's the what's the cutoff? And it's different from insurance company to insurance company. But generally, uh, I tell people when a car repair starts to approach seventy five percent of its replacement cost, that's generally when an insurance company will decide to total a car. So, for instance, use big, easy, round numbers: ten thousand dollar car repair estimate, seventy five hundred dollars. It's probably going to be totaled, um, and that's just because the reality is. 
um, oftentimes the actual cost of repair ends up being much higher than what um, than what they first estimated. And so because of that, they have to build in some additional cushion in case the estimate of repairs goes up. Um, plus they have to pay for rental car and things like that that also add to the cost. So they wouldn't want to pay for 60 days worth of rental car coverage at a tune of four or 5,000 on a 7,500 repair. Now all of a sudden the insurance company's paid out $12,000 and the car was only worth 10. Um, but what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to get the actual cash value of your vehicle. And so people often ask, well, what is the actual cash value? Well, in a simplistic way, what I would say is if you were to sell your car the day before the accident to a private seller, that is what actual cash value is. So just pretend the day before the accident happened, your car was out front of your house with a for sale sign. What would someone come up and pay you for that vehicle in its current condition? You know, with all of its blemishes, its door dings, et cetera. What would that car fetch? And that should be around what the insurance company is willing to pay you. Now, that's not always the case. Um, and you've got to be prepared. If you feel like the offer the insurance company makes is not sufficient, you need to prepare yourself to make an argument. An argument is not, well, this is my grandmother's car and it has a lot of meaning to me or my my papaw bought me this car and I really, you know, have always loved it. And the insurance companies don't care about those things. Those are those are things that are um, uh, you know, not pertinent. So what is pertinent? Um, did you just buy a new set of tires like a week ago? Not that you had new tires six months ago, because tires are one of the things we expect to have a car to have. It doesn't necessarily increase the value. Yep. But if you just bought them last week, it might increase a little bit. Um, did you just have a paint job done to the vehicle? Um, have you done any other um, upgrades to the car? Um, and then go and do your own research. Pull values off of Kelly Blue Book and NADA. A lot of the insurance companies look at that. Yep. NADA.com. Um, that's the National Automobile Dealers Association. That's what that stands for. And then go and look at cars.com, car gurus. Put in your make and model. If you drive a, a Honda Accord and it's a base model, don't be looking at Honda Accords that are the high end model and then saying, well, this one's selling for 10,000 and you're only giving me eight. Well, you may not have the same make and model, but find cars with similar mileage, similar make and model within about a 50 or to 100 mile radius around you. In that way, if the insurance company offers you a really low offer, you can come back and say, well, look, I found these seven vehicles that are within you know a few thousand miles of mine, same year make and model, and they're all selling for X. I think the offer is low, and I need more. And that's how you negotiate to get more if the offer they make you you feel is low. Yeah, and I believe uh, if your car is totaled, that that essentially means your insurance company is buying it from you. You no longer own the vehicle when it all, all is said and done. So you can't go selling off the parts from the totaled car and get the check. Correct. Correct. So yeah, that's basically exactly what's happening. Going back to what I said earlier, imagine you sold the car the day before the accident happened. What the insurance company is essentially doing is buying the car from you in its current wrecked state, but paying you as if it had never been wrecked the day before. And so yeah, you can't go sell the wheels off the car. You can't go sell the stereo out of the car to get extra money. Now, people often ask, well, if they total my car, can I keep what we call the salvage? And the salvage is what's left of the car after it's been wrecked. You can keep the salvage in a lot of cases, but I don't recommend it. What the insurance company is going to do is they are going to reduce your payout by what the value is of that salvage. Because even though your car is wrecked and the insurance company is buying it from you, 
they're not going to keep it. They're going to turn around and sell it to a salvage yard who's going to buy it for parts. And so maybe that car, they're going to get $800 for it from a salvage yard. So if you decide to keep the car and they were going to pay you, say, $10,000, they're going to give you $9,200 because you, you decided to keep the salvage. Now you've got this car that you've got to figure out what to do with. The insurance company's already determined it's going to cost more to fix it than what it's worth. So you're not going to go find a shop likely that's going to be able to fix it for nothing. So then you've got to figure out, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this thing fixed? And you're not going to be able to in most in most cases. So therefore, like I said, you may want to um, you may want to not keep the salvage if that ends up being the case. So I, I, would, I, would, I, I recommend against that. Yeah. OK. <laughs> and, and then going going back to my accident scenario, if the woman I hit in the intersection actually does have injuries. We'll, we'll set aside the fraudulent stuff. Let's say she's legitimately injured. And her and there's damage to her car. What's her experience then? Because the accident's not her fault, and she shouldn't be filing a claim on her own insurance, right? Yeah. Uh, um, in, in most cases, if you are not at fault for an accident, you don't want to file through your own insurance if you can avoid filing through your own insurance. And here's the reason why: if you go through your own insurance, you've got to pay that deductible, and you've got to pay that deductible uh, to your insurance company. They will at some point try to get the money back from the at fault insurance company, but there's no guarantee that they're going to get it back and, and in what time frame they're going to get it back. So um, you want to try to file through the at fault party's insurance. Now, that may not always be the case. You also don't want to wait an indefinite amount of time to do that. So let's say a week has gone by and the insurance company that hit you, they haven't accepted liability. They haven't started to fix your car. They haven't paid for anything. At that point, I'd recommend filing a claim through your own insurance company because you could be waiting, you know, forever. And you're all the while, let's say your car was towed from the scene, it's sitting on some tow lot and they do charge storage for every day that car sits on a tow lot. It's usually like $50 or more a day. So if you don't tell your insurance company for three weeks that your car was wrecked and has been sitting on a tow lot, they're not going to be happy with you. In fact, they could say we're not going to pay part of that storage fee because you didn't notify us in a timely manner. Wow. So it's $50 a day times three weeks. All of a sudden it's $3,000 in storage while the car was sitting there. They, they may not be, not be happy with that. Um, so you do want to try to go through the, the insurance company that uh, had, you had the accident with, or that was at fault um, if you can, but if they're not quick to respond or quick to start handling your damages, you do want to notify your insurance company because they may not start handling it right away, but they may be able to help expedite the handling of it. They may be able to reach out to that other insurance company and say, hey, guys, it's been a week. What's going on here? Can you tell us why you haven't done anything? Like maybe there's something you don't know about. Maybe the person that hit you didn't have permission to drive the car. And so they're investigating whether or not it was a permissive use issue. Um, but for the person that got injured, yeah, they are they're hurt or their car is damaged. If they go through the other insurance company, it's going to be a long process. But is it a long process with the understanding that they start taking care of things relatively quickly? If so, go that route. If not, involve your own insurance company. Okay. Would you, uh, would you call, if you're not at fault, would you call your own insurance company as a heads up or are you better off letting, basically keeping quiet until you have an issue? Um, it just depends on who your insurance company is. If you have an agent, you may want to notify your agent, hey, I was in an accident. Um, do I need to make a claim right now? Maybe you don't know what the next steps are. If you have an agent, they could advise you, hey, look, 
who did you get in the accident with? And they'll tell you the insurance company and the agent can say, oh, well, I know what number you need to call. Call this number. This is where you need to go. Um, with some insurance companies, especially what we call direct writers, that means you bought your insurance offline or through an 800 number. If you call them, they're going to file a claim against your policy. That's like what I was just, thinking. Yeah. They're going to file a claim. So you may not want to call them right away. Um, just be reasonable. What every insurance policy says in terms of the time frame um, that you need to call them, it says you need to call them um, basically uh, right after an accident happens. You need to let them know in a timely manner is usually the language. That's kind of a subjective. What does timely manner mean? And I'm just saying as an experienced agent and as a former adjuster, to me, a timely manner is within a week, if you haven't seen the process start to move along with the other insurance company where they've said, hey, we are responsible, we are going to fix your car, we are going to take care of any injuries you sustained. If you're not getting that kind of um, acknowledgement from them, that's the stage at which I would notify my insurance company, hey, I was in an accident last week. Um, here's what's happened. I was clearly not at fault. And when we talk about fault, I mean, clearly not at fault, as in you were rear-ended or you were T-boned at an intersection that, yeah. that the police wrote a report and you know you weren't cited. If there's any gray area about who's liable or there's an argument at the scene or with the other driver about who was responsible, you need to report that to your insurance company right away. It's not going to get better because a lot of people think, well, I wasn't at fault, so I'm not going to contact my insurance company. It's clear to me I wasn't at fault. Is it clear to the other party that they're that they are at fault? If it's not clear to them that they are at fault, you would be best served to report it to your insurance okay. company in that case. And the the woman I hit does does she call my insurance and start a claim? I mean, she's not. Or what what is she? She do? could she could, but I'd recommend against that. I'd recommend that if you're at fault and you hit someone, that you be the one to notify your insurance company that you hit someone and you believe yourself to like you know to likely be at fault. Okay. Um, that way, they can start investigating it. Um, what typically happens is if you don't notify your insurance company in a timely manner uh, about what happened and they get that first phone call from the other party, then, you know, they uh, don't have a chance to get your side of the story. They can't start handling her damage or the person you hit's damage until they speak with you. Okay. And so what can happen is maybe when you first hit the person, they weren't injured. And then you never called your insurance company to report the claim. And then like a week later, the person that you hit calls in and finds out the claim has never been reported. They weren't injured at the time, but now that you've made them wait a week and not ever called your insurance company to report the claim, they decide, you know what? My neck does hurt. And that's just their way of basically saying I was inconvenienced as a result of you not doing the prudent thing of reporting the claim in a timely manner. And because I had to wait a, a week, I'm going to now claim that I do have some pain in my neck or I have some pain in my arm, et cetera. And so if you make the claim yourself, you kind of kind of can avoid and cut off some of that misunderstanding um, that can occur. Um, and also you can kind of make the process a little bit easier for the person that you hit, because that's at the end of the day, it's what you want to happen. If you hit somebody and you're at fault, you want to make their life a little bit easier. You want to make it so that the claim is handled quickly, because if the claim is handled quickly, it means that, you know what, you're not likely going to get a lot of pushback and the person that you hit is likely to be more amenable to working out a resolution if you made, you know, did your job and made the claim uh, shortly after it happened. So okay. the same day is what I would recommend. 
Yeah, and and that's the whole point of the at the scene when the police are there, you exchange contact information. So when I'm calling my insurance company saying I was in an accident, I'm at fault. Here's the name and number of the woman I hit. She did claim injury at the scene, and then they can contact her and begin that process. And mm-hmm. the idea would be, if I'm 100% at fault, no gray area, then my insurance is going to reimburse her for the vehicle damage and her medical reimbursements up to limits, which is a very important thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So every insurance policy is going to have limits of liability. So for Virginia, um, and it's different in each state, um, but in Virginia, the limits of liability that are minimum are $25,000 per person for bodily injury, $50,000 for the accident in totality. So to give you an example, if there were two people injured, uh, very severely, the policy could pay out $25,000 to person one, $25,000 to person two. That's a total of $50,000, at which point it pays nothing additional and you have exhausted your liability limits. And then for property damage, the state minimum, unfortunately, is $20,000. Now, I've been in this business for 17 years. It has been $20,000 as long as I've been in business. However, the cost of cars has risen considerably over the last 17 years. Yes. So, therefore, um, you know, it's possible that you may not have enough coverage if you only have that minimum amount. You may not have enough to pay for all of the injuries to the person that you struck or pay for all of the damage to their vehicle. So I think it's very important that you, you know, obviously you don't want to pay more for insurance than you have to, but you also want to make sure that you have limits that are sufficient to pay a claim. So if you're driving around in a brand new, uh, think of a popular car, a brand new Subaru WRX that goes for, you know, $40,000 and you're carrying state minimum limits of 20,000, just think of all the people out there that you could hit and that isn't gonna be enough to pay for their cars. Most popular car in America, I think is like a Ford F-150. And I think the starting price for even the low end one of those is somewhere in the mid $30,000 range for like an XL, XLT. So um, you really wanna look at your limits and make sure you have enough to pay those claims. We don't think about it at the time. We just think about price when we first buy our insurance. I want to pay less. I want to pay less. But understand if you ever need to use your coverage, you're going to really hope that you thought long and hard about what limits you did decide to choose. Yeah, that's that was one point my father always made was I want the insurance company to have skin in the game. So yes, 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 um, absolutely. Quick, quick question. If it's feasible, I mean, everyone's carrying a cell phone these days. At the accident scene, should you take some pictures or video or anything? Absolutely. One of the biggest things I would recommend is right after an accident occurs. Now, granted, if this happens on the middle of the interstate and it's super dangerous, don't exit your vehicle. Don't, you know, get out and start taking photos. But if it happens in a parking lot, if it happens on like at an intersection and you know what? Traffic is stopped. You can you can get out of the car relatively safely. Don't move your car. Don't pull back into a parking space. Don't pull it off to the shoulder of the road. Get out and immediately start taking some photos of what happened, of the scene. You may even pull out your phone and, and switch it to video and just take a quick 30-second video of what, where the cars are at and the positions they are in. And the reason for doing this is because um, an accident scene is kind of like a crime scene. And if you know anything about a crime scene, when it happens, the police, war, you know, they, they cordon off that area and they put up police tape and they don't let anybody in and out so that they can kind of get an idea of, OK, where where was the person located? Where was the bullet? Where was whatever? But they get an idea and they've they've kept that scene in a car accident. Oftentimes the scene gets really messy really quickly, you know, uh, 
ambulances come, fire trucks, police officers, cars get moved over to the shoulder of the road, you're blocking traffic. So within a few minutes of an accident happening, a lot of times the evidence that's there that would dictate who's responsible goes away. Yeah. So by you having a, to do this when it's safe and taking some photos or some video, that may come back to help you later on down the road should the other party claim, no, um, I wasn't responsible. No, I did have uh, the right of way. My, I was halfway out of my parking spot and they weren't. Um, there's a lot of that that happens in claims. Unfortunately, nobody wants to admit responsibility for being the person that caused the accident in most cases. Yeah. So if you can take some photos or some video of what happened with your cell phone, I would recommend that um, as long as you can do it safely. And let's let's briefly talk about what happens if you have what's called a hit and run where somebody hits your car and takes off mm -hmm. and you don't catch the license plate because it happens so quickly. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're calling the police in that case because they've committed a crime in addition to causing an accident by leaving. But so you definitely want to have a police ticket uh, for, on your behalf saying it was a hit and run. Correct. Yeah, I mean, obviously you hope that to be the case, but let's say you come out from the grocery store and you have a big dent in the side of your door and it wasn't there beforehand. Well, the police are not going to come out there in all likelihood, because once again, as I said at the beginning, it's private property. So they're mm -hmm. not going to come out and write a report showing that. So um, what happens in Virginia, and this is different in each state. So a lot of what we're talking about is very, very... Uh, specific to this, the state in which the accident happens in, because the laws are slightly different. The negligence laws are different. The rules are different. But in Virginia, um, we have what's known as uninsured motorist property damage, UMPD. Um, the state mandates that coverage be on every insurance policy. So if you have a policy, regardless of whether you have comprehensive and collision coverage, you're going to have UMPD on your policy, and it's going to have a $200 deductible. As long as the damage appears to be um, related to a person hitting you. And it could, it's obviously it could be a phantom vehicle. They hit you on the road and they take off. We get those sometimes. A tractor trailer comes over on top of you on the interstate and strikes the side of your car and they don't realize they hit you and they take off. Or it could be, like I said, you come out in the parking lot and you've got a big dent in the side of your door because somebody hit your car as they were pulling out and they didn't leave a note or stop. Um, that's when this coverage would come into play and it'll basically pay to fix your car and you'll have a $200 deductible that will apply. But here's the caveat. The damage has to be consistent with um, what you're claiming. If it happens on a public roadway, you, you sh should call the police because the insurance company is going to think very suspiciously of a claim where you claim to have been sideswiped by a tractor trailer on the interstate yet didn't call any authorities. Okay. In that case, they're going to say, yeah, you know, because otherwise it just opens up to too much impropriety that could occur. People could be fraudulent. Hey, I I hit a, a, a mailbox, but I don't want to admit it. I'll just tell my insurance company I was sideswiped on the side of the interstate. So yeah. you do want to contact the police. But if the damage is consistent with what you're claiming, in most cases, the insurance company will give you the benefit of the doubt and they will handle that claim as an uninsured motorist property damage claim and you'll get your vehicle fixed. Okay. So one, one last uh, question that I thought of is if let's say you're not at fault, you're going through the other person's insurance, is there anything their insurance company wants to put in front of you to, to sign that you shouldn't sign? Yeah, if you're if you are if you are not at fault for an accident, and you get struck by someone, and the other insurance company is handling it. Um, especially if you're injured, there's a couple of documents they may want to get you to sign. One of those documents may be a medical records release form. 
that is up to you whether you decide to sign that or not. I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to sign it because if it's relatively minor, they're going to need some of the records from where you went to the ER in order to reimburse you or to pay you. Okay. But understand that when you sign that form, you have given the insurance company the right to obtain records from your entire medical history. It's not just as it pertains to that accident. Yeah. So let's say you had prior neck injuries and issues from years past, maybe another accident, maybe a sports related injury. Maybe you played football, maybe you played volleyball, you got hit in the head with a ball and had whiplash. They're going to find out about that by getting your copies of your medical records. Um, that form is not as big of a deal in terms of should you sign it, should you not. Um, it's one of those things where if the injuries are, are significant, you may not want to sign that. You may decide to get an attorney to represent you. If it's relatively minor, I don't see a big problem in signing that because they're going to find out about that, even if you have an attorney. That, that's mm -hmm. going to They're going to find that out. There's a process called discovery sure. where they'll find out everything. So don't I, think I was, that you're going to keep anything from them. Yeah. Um, but the big issue is signing a medical, uh, a, basically a release, a full and final release of the claim. And a lot of insurance companies, when a claim happens, the first thing they want to do is get you to sign a release, basically saying, my client is no longer liable. And for this small sum of money, you agree to no longer pursue. And then your ability to sue or go after or get money is, is null and void. You can't go after the other party any longer. Can you sign a release? At the beginning of a claim, you could, I would recommend against it. I would recommend giving it several weeks, maybe even a month or so. Make sure that you're okay. Make sure, because right after an accident happens, you often won't feel anything. Adrenaline is pumping. Sure. Um, your body, just like when you go out and you, people, people your age, my age, Jim, we know this. If I go out in my yard and do something, I won't feel it today. I'll feel it the next day. If you're younger, maybe you won't even feel it the next day. But most of us don't feel it the day of. Even if you go paint your house, you don't feel it the day of. But the next morning you wake up and your arm's killing you. Sure. Our accidents are the same way. So don't rush to sign something until you make sure you're okay and that you don't have any lingering after effects. Um, but that's probably the most common thing that you might see an insurance company ask you to sign is either a medical authorization to get records or a release form. The release form is the thing you want to not sign right away. You yeah. want to hold off on that. Okay. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for all of that. And uh, I always end my episodes by asking my guests uh, one last question, which is in the uh, thinking of all things in the adult world, what is something you wish you'd figured out before you turned 25? <laughs> I think one of the things I wish I would have uh, figured out before I turned 25 is that, uh, you know, being financially prudent with your money um, may not seem that big of a deal at that point, but the decisions you make in your early 20s are going to have uh, after effects that carry on into later in life. Um, I'd recommend if someone has a job where they uh, have offered to them uh, the ability to save for retirement. Um, tax deferred, that you do that immediately. Life is only going to get more expensive and harder the older that you get. You're going to have um, mortgages and, and hopefully children and things of that nature that are going to cost a lot. So anything that you can do early on to set yourself up for success, not take on excessive debt, et cetera, um, I think is great. So if I could talk to my, my 22, 23-year-old self, I would say you don't need to buy that brand new Corvette. You don't need to buy that brand new car. You don't have to have the biggest apartment. Um, just Take what you need and save the rest. You'll thank yourself 20, 30 years down the road for making those wise financial decisions. I completely agree. Thanks so much, Derek. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. That concludes today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you have any follow-up questions, you can email me at askjimkta at gmail.com, or for more information, check out kitchentableadulting.com. Thank you.